You're listening to Season 7 of Bionic Planet, now brought to you by VERA, the world's most widely followed environmental standard. VERA, Standards for a Sustainable Future. And by Responsible Alpha, a collaborative high-impact ESG consultancy helping investors, businesses, and communities transition to a low-carbon, sustainable, and equitable future by developing transparent, consistent, and replicable tools. Responsible Alpha, being the best at what really matters. There was a study from Duke University that showed that by the end of this century in the United States, we could have as many as 100,000 deaths per year, and treeless neighborhoods can be more than 20 degrees hotter. 20 degrees hotter. Yeah, they can be as much as 20 degrees hotter. Jad Daly is president and CEO of American Forests, the oldest nationwide nonprofit conservation organization in the United States. And so bringing that cooling benefit of trees into our neighborhoods is absolutely essential to reduce that health threat. In 2021, American Forests looked at the distribution of trees across the country and published what they call tree equity scores. They found rich neighborhoods had far more trees per capita than poor neighborhoods do, and that means more than just barren streets. It means higher temperatures and poorer air in areas where people are least equipped to deal with it. I mean, those 88,000 additional deaths, it's not going to happen in leafy neighborhoods where people have great air conditioning and they have platinum health care plans. It's going to happen in lower income neighborhoods in particular, where people have chronic underlying health conditions. They don't have air conditioning or can't afford to run it all the time. They may have challenges in terms of accessing health care. And on top of that, they're dealing with greater heat stress. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth, we broke it, we own it, and nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields. And not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet, or is nature herself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And it's a question today's guest, Jad Daly, has been grappling with for over 20 years, first with the Northern Forest Alliance, and for the past five years as president and CEO of American Forests. In their 2021 tree equity score, American Forests concluded that we need to plant and grow 522 million trees across American cities to remove inequality by providing tree equity. I caught up to him at year-end climate talks last year in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, so you'll hear some people in the background, and I started by asking him what tree equity is and why it matters. Tree equity is a really, really important new way of thinking about urban forestry Mm -hmm. because there is a searing reality in cities across America and around the world. And it's this, a map of trees in virtually any city 
is a map of income and it's a map of race and ethnicity. And this has life and death consequences. If you don't have trees in your neighborhood, it can be more than 20 degrees hotter. You'll have higher levels of air pollution. It even affects your mental health not to have trees in your neighborhood. And so we are systemically denying this really fundamental healthcare for cities uh -huh. that is trees, in many cases to populations that in fact are already facing greater health risks and other burdens and inequities in our society. And so don't take my word for it. Check our math on this. Mm -hmm. Go to treeequityscore.org. I'm saying treeequityscore.org. Right now, it's just for the United States, and we're in the process of expanding it internationally. We mapped every urban neighborhood in America, more than 150,000 neighborhoods, using a standardized approach. And what our data show that is that on a national average, the lowest income neighborhoods in America have 41% less tree cover wow. on average. And that mm -hmm. means some of them are much worse. Mm -hmm. Neighborhoods with a majority people of color, regardless of income, have on average 33% less tree cover. And these are differences that have, again, real life and death benefits. And so what we've been trying to do is alert people to this really problematic inequity in our cities and then rally efforts where we bring together people from the grassroots to the mayor's office. And in fact, also all the way to the White House, you uh -huh. know, we're trying to get all levels of government, leaders at all levels in our country and around the world focus on this issue and then investing real dollars to go in in partnership with people in the neighborhoods that are most affected and plant trees and care for trees in a way uh, that we can bring the life-saving benefits of trees to every single neighborhood. Mm -hmm. it, it, so it sounds like a beautification issue, but it's more than that. It is so much more than that. You know, I've been saying for years that this isn't just scenery we're talking mm -hmm. about here. And I think that's actually really the problem is a lot of people have maybe to some degree noticed these discrepancies, but that doesn't really matter. And so I want to start really most importantly with the health benefits of trees and the health impacts if you don't have trees in your neighborhood. And so check this out. This is pretty amazing. In America today, extreme heat kills more than 12,000 people per year. The hurricanes and the floods and those things get the news. They're very visual. Heat is a silent killer and to a certain degree it's invisible as well, but it's a far, far more greater threat to our health than any other kind of extreme weather. Tornadoes, you know, you pick anything else. And the really amazing thing is that with climate change, these risks from extreme heat are getting much greater. In fact, there was a study from Duke University that showed that by the end of this century in the United States, we could have as many as 100,000 deaths per year because we're going to have more heat waves and uh, kind of sustained uh, chronic threats from heat overall. And this is the leading edge of climate justice. How do we deal with extreme heat? And treeless neighborhoods can be uh, more than 20 degrees hotter. 20 fit. degrees hotter. Yeah, it, they can be as much as 20 degrees hotter. And so bringing that cooling benefit of trees into our neighborhoods is absolutely essential to reduce that health threat. I mean, those 88,000 additional deaths uh, that are projected to see in our cities, it's not going to happen in leafy neighborhoods where people mm -hmm. have great air conditioning and they have platinum health care plans. It's going to happen in lower income neighborhoods in particular where people have chronic underlying health conditions. They don't have air conditioning or can't afford to run it all the time. They may have challenges in terms of accessing healthcare. And on top of that, they're dealing with greater heat stress. We already see that pattern in the heat-related deaths that we have today. And now we're going to see that played out at an even greater scale unless we act. That Duke study doesn't mean we have to have that result. It's adaptation day here at COP27. <laughs> if we don't adapt our cities to become heat resilient, like cities like Chicago and Phoenix and Detroit and Boston are doing, if we don't take those kinds of actions, if we don't bring tree cover equitably into our cities, then we will see this incredible spike in heat-related deaths. I'm extremely hopeful that as this tree equity movement is now building across America and people 
come to understand this isn't just scenery. <laughs> These are magic devices that cool our neighborhoods, by the way, that also have a profound impact in reducing air pollution in our neighborhoods. Uh, at the same time, another great health stress, and that bringing this protective benefit to the most vulnerable neighborhoods in our communities can have immense impacts for climate justice. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Chicago and Detroit. I'm from Chicago and I've been to Detroit and both cities have areas where lots of buildings are just gone. So it seems like there's a lot of open land. Yeah, it is a really interesting thing. You know, the tree inequities that we have and the patterns of those tree inequities are really variable. It depends on the different land use patterns that you find in cities. But the cities of the Midwest, for me, are very hopeful. Uh, Chicago, Detroit, Columbus, Cleveland, many others that in many ways are are somewhat land rich at this point, right? Mm -hmm. They have a much smaller population than they did historically. And in some cases they have, as you said, large areas of land that are vacant or much less populated than they were at other times. And so if you leave these areas in that state, we all know that vacant properties can become a source of crime. They become a blight on the neighborhood. If you flip the script on Mm -hmm. that, and that's what cities like Chicago and Detroit are doing, is saying in partnership with communities, identifying what are the lands that aren't needed for housing anymore and turning those into assets in the communities like parks and urban forests is an incredible way to catalyze uh, reinvention of those neighborhoods, benefits for the people who do remain in those communities. And a beautiful story is a one from a few years ago in the Osborne neighborhood of Detroit, a, very, a significantly under-resourced and disadvantaged neighborhood, and that had a real problem with vacant properties. Mm-hmm. And so in partnership with the Osborne neighborhood, we identified some properties to be taken down and turned it from this blight on the community into this beautiful environment environmental center, the first environmental center of its kind in Detroit. And that included, you know, gorgeous tree cover. And it just changed the whole feel of the community. And then that became the catalyst for putting in affordable housing in the area. Um, It was the catalyst for reinvention. And so all across America, there's some form of that or another. These land-rich cities like the ones we're talking about have those types of opportunities. But we've done work in the Tenderloin neighborhood of San Francisco, which is very densely settled. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, every inch of land in San Francisco is precious. But you have whole streets that don't have a single tree. And so we've actually gone in and done projects where in partnership with the Friends of the Urban Forest where we're cutting holes in these sidewalks and putting in trees in neighborhoods that Yes, San Francisco does have disadvantaged neighborhoods that are single-room occupancy apartments, places that can get very stuffy. San Francisco is getting hotter very, very quickly, and so bring cooling into those neighborhoods that don't have the benefits of trees. These are different ways to work trees back into the environment and in these disadvantaged neighborhoods of places where we don't have tree equity, and that's really the challenge before us. And uh, you talk about cutting holes in sidewalks, putting in trees, and then also vacant land, so there's two different areas to put it. But one problem with cities is there's a lot of stuff underneath the ground, right? It's not like going out into vacant land and planting a tree and the roots can go where they want. In a city, don't you have to worry about where the roots grow, make sure they have room to expand? A hundred percent. Let's think about a series of actions that are needed Mm -hmm. to get this right. And I want to really start with the first and most important one, which is how we are engaging uh, with community members in the process of doing this work. Mm -hmm. The one way you can get this wrong is to say, hey, we've identified this environmental injustice of a lack of tree cover. And so we're just going to kind of rush to fix it. Uh And I think it's so impressive to see partner communities. I want to give a special shout out to Phoenix and Detroit because they're such good examples where they've built these incredibly broad community-based partnerships and frontline organizations down to the very small neighborhood scale 
working all the way with the mayor's office, working with national level partners like American Forest and others, and really uh, bringing everyone around the table. So before we even make some kind of a goal or commitment towards tree equity, we're all on the same page about why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. What are the potentially unintended consequences? How do we mitigate for that? Hey, let me look at that tree equity score data. Wow, I never really understood the impact of this. Or I never understood how underserved our neighborhood was with trees relative to other parts of the city. And really build from the bottom up of awareness and consensus towards action. And then from there, the key is right action from a forestry perspective. And so as you were correctly getting at, urban forestry is in some ways more complicated mm -hmm. than forests yeah. that we do out in large landscapes where you get a little more margin for error. That brings up a key point, namely anyone can plant a tree, but that means nothing if the tree dies. That's one reason I support my primary sponsor, Vera, which administers the verified carbon standard. The VCS supports afforestation reforestation by providing science-based methodologies for quantifying the amount of carbon captured in trees people plant, and they support a global buffer pool to ensure against losses. Vera, standards for a sustainable future. If we've engaged with community members in the right way, and we've all co-created a goal uh -huh. around tree equity, then the next question is, how do we actually do it? How do we plant the right trees the right way? How do we not just think about tree planting, but tree care, tree growing, right. um, and make sure that we're using really cutting edge forestry techniques? And, and doing forestry in cities in some ways is much more complicated. It's a little counterintuitive than thinking about large scale ecosystem restoration, but it's in some ways more complicated in cities. You have to think about issues, as you said, of the sidewalks and making sure that we're not only finding the right place for street trees within the maze of sidewalks and streets and homes, but also making sure we don't get unintended consequences like roots that come up and break a sidewalk. Mm. And these are the sort of hazards that can lead to a lack of community support if they're not attended to the right way. And American Forests partnered with the U.S. Forest Service to create a new cutting-edge forestry guide focused on how do we plant trees with an emphasis on climate change, both the resilience of those trees that we're planting to climate change, as well as maximizing the benefits of trees to protecting us from climate change, cooling our homes, reducing energy use, sequestering carbon, but then also thinking about trees from the perspective of public health. Mm -hmm. So not just cooling, but also air quality. Right, um, right. And even avoiding you know potential issues with pollen and allergies and VOCs. And so we take very, very seriously that once we have the mandate from a community, we have to deliver the high standard of forestry to get that plant and tree care and tree protection done the right way. We see on the other side of this relationship with all of our partners, they are incredibly serious about this. They also want to get these details right. And so I have tremendous confidence that as we now start to ramp up totally unprecedented investment, and I hope we're going to get to this, yes. billions of dollars now coming into this work of creating tree equity, you do not need to worry that this is just about sticking trees in the ground. There is a sophisticated urban forestry movement out there, and it goes all the way down to very grassroots neighborhood frontline organizations that I can tell you when you spend time, they are intensely serious about how this work is done because you know what? It's an investment in their community. The best thing about working with folks on the front lines doing this work is that they will be living with the results of the work that we do for decades to come. And in fact, there was once a woman probably in her 80s she came out of her home. There was a day we were doing a planting in Wilmington, Delaware with some partners there. 
And she came out of her home. It was a, a remarkable thing. So she said, hey, I, I want to be part of planting these trees. Because mm. This is my neighborhood. And she said, I take this as a real act of love that you're planting these trees in our neighborhood. And we need that. Right, said, right. We want more investment in this neighborhood. She said, but I want to make sure that this is done right. Uh, these are going to be my trees. We actually was really neat. Some of the trees we're planting were fruit trees. Uh -huh. And she was very excited about that, as were other community members. And she said, I, I want to make sure that we take care of these trees and that the best that they can possibly be for our neighborhood. And I'll tell you, she outworked everyone, you know, moving mulch and planting trees. And it was a, it was a beautiful thing. So um, you know, the only pushback that we ever get on this work is just a couple things. There was one study, and interestingly enough, done in Detroit. You know, Detroit's now a real model for this work. Right, right, right. Um, and I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me and cited one study that was done in Detroit in 2014 and said, oh, well, you know, I've heard that people don't really want these trees and, and that this is, yeah, that maybe this is a top-down thing. You know, you're coming in and people in these neighborhoods don't really care. I, that is nonsense. I got to tell you, it might have been true that that one program, which by the way, it was a wonderful study and we learned a lot from it. I'm really grateful to Christine Carmichael who led that study and who's been a great thought leader in this work. And we really went to school on it, as did other partners in Detroit. But at the same time, I think people have sort of jumped overboard and assumed yeah. that that means that folks always don't care right. or that it's always being done wrong. But that was one study in right. 2014. We've learned so much since then. Uh, but the, the reality is that the way that we do this work in 2022 and is, is really very different. It's evolved substantially. It's very sophisticated. Yeah. Folks take community engagement really seriously. And really importantly, community members want this. Yeah. The idea that this is a top-down thing and this is environmental organizations telling people what they need. We hear again and again now from city officials that climate justice leaders, environmental justice leaders are coming in and they want to talk about tree canopy. And I think that's because in the last couple of years, the extreme heat crisis has gotten worse. And again, we're already losing more than 12,000 people per year to extreme heat. And that doesn't even capture all the respiratory illness and other kinds of illness that's exacerbated by heat. So people are living with the reality of these health impacts. We have a, now a, a totally different level of awareness of the role that trees play in cooling our neighborhoods and cleaning the air. And so if you're an environmental justice activist or a climate justice activist on the front lines, you now know that mm -hmm. trees are your best natural defense. They are an absolute must-have along with all the other things that we need to do for climate justice and environmental justice. And it is not top-down. It is very much bottom-up actually at this point. But we need to get all of those details right about how we engage to come together and do this work. And then again, we hear the idea that we're the right tree, right place. Uh, people sometimes say, hey, you know, you know, you need to do the right tree in the right place. And you know, American Forest, we've been doing this for 147 years. So we figured that one out actually pretty early <laughs> in the game. We invented the field of urban forestry really in over a century ago. And yeah, we understand that. And so do other partners too. It's actually kind of a little condescending to su suggest that we haven't thought that through. And so that's why we published that updated guidebook with the Forest Service, this Climate and Health and Foreign Forestry Guide, which I'm really proud the White House released as part of its Extreme Heat Task Force. The White House knows this is a top-tier heat protection strategy and knows that we have to get these details right. We know it's complicated. We're attending all the details in the right way. Now it's about how many cities can we reach. Right. It's not just about places like Phoenix and Detroit and continuing the work there. But I often think about a place like Philadelphia, which is also doing great work, but then a city like Chester, Pennsylvania, a much less affluent community, but also a quite substantial population center that's not too far just down the road from Philadelphia. And all across our country, you know, we have these large sort of uh, hub cities that are starting to really step into this work. And how can we make sure that those just slightly smaller communities, right. and again, often much less affluent communities in those larger metro areas, that they're also given the resources and the capacity to come in and do this work. And that's partly why here at COP27, we launched a new $10 million tree equity catalyst fund 
specifically to give grants to frontline organizations and under-resourced cities so that they can build the capacity and do the kind of preparatory work to be able to compete for funding, to do tree equity, and to build these kinds of programs. And that is the next point. It's not cheap to develop an urban forest. Yes. Right? I mean, I know there was one study that showed that over the life of a tree, when you take into account the warming and the health benefits, and even factoring out the costs of maintaining it and planting it, the net benefit is like an average of 25000 per tree or so. Right, right. right? But how are you getting the money together to get this started? How do you get those trees in the ground and make sure they're done right? And all this community act, I mean, this is not cheap. Yeah, you're exactly right. This is a perfect example of something where if you're able to look at the long term, mm-hmm. this is the one of the best financial investments you can make. I've said this a few times. I'm going to say it again. Trees are healthcare for cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is preventative medicine for cities that everyone must have. We view this as a moral imperative. Even before an environmental, it's a moral imperative. It's like having stoplights or sewers in your neighborhood. Having trees in your neighborhood is basic infrastructure, life and death infrastructure for people's well-being, it kind of starts from that principle. And so then if you're valuing infrastructure, if we said, well, hey, should we bother to put a stoplight there or should we bother to put sewers in that neighborhood or sidewalks or whatever, there's a sort of a return on investment in terms mm-hmm. of the benefits of the community. And I think the right way to think about trees is, as you said, over the life of the tree, what's the return going to be to the community? But there can be pretty substantial upfront costs. It varies significantly from city to city, and these numbers change all the time, but it can be hundreds of dollars or even a thousand dollars in some cases to plant trees in cities. And that's in part because we're not planting in cities most often little tiny seedlings. Mm -hmm. The major tree planting initiatives in cities are generally planting much larger trees so that we can start getting those shade benefits, for Ah, example, more quickly so that we can make sure that the trees we're planting will get through that establishment period. And so as a result, it costs more to grow a larger tree in a tree nursery. Um, So that can be part of the difference. But as you said, it's also about factoring in the maintenance costs of the life of the tree and other sort of variables like that. And so I think one of the things that we're most excited about that's happening right now in this tree equity movement is the recognition that we can actually bring those costs down and we can expand the economic benefit. We can expand the job creation benefit by really investing in urban tree nurseries. Mm-hmm. And so in a place like Detroit that I mentioned, they're making a huge investment in building and expanding urban tree nurseries. But this is happening in cities all around the country. And using those tree nurseries, by the way, to grow exactly the right trees. In Detroit, for example, we've been working with the Forest Service to grow trees that are especially resilient to the emerald ash borer and other pests. And so we can create this engine room of tree supply with nurseries, create jobs in the process, fine tune the trees that we're actually putting into cities. And those are all really good things. But in the process, drive the cost down Mm because this is a supply and demand thing, right? And if we have more nurseries, we're growing more trees, that's going to bring the cost down. It's a wonderful thing to see and talk about the economic benefits of all this. commissioned a study that showed that we can create 25.7 jobs for every million dollars that we invest in urban forestry. 25.7 jobs for every million dollars we invest. Now, those are direct, indirect, and induced jobs if you're doing the math at home. And in many cases, those urban tree nurseries are like little micro enterprises. It's somebody's Mm -hmm. business, in effect. And we think that idea that there can be ecopreneurs in cities who are in a place like Detroit, for example, taking a lot of that vacant land and turning it into a micro enterprise like a tree nursery is just a beautiful form of urban reinvention that it gives people all sorts of opportunities to have an impact on how we do this work. Right. And you guys have pretty innovative funding mechanisms too, right? Yeah. So we're really, really excited about where the financing for this work is going. And it starts with the world's largest ever 
urban forest investment from a government. How about that? In fact, I think the largest of any kind, period. We worked very hard with amazing partners, with Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, the chairwoman of the Senate Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry Committee, and Senator Cory Booker of Mm -hmm. New Jersey. And we worked patiently with them over a number of years to make this case that we've been discussing that trees are a top-tier climate justice investment in our cities, that extreme heat is our greatest threat, that trees are our number one defense, and that we need to invest in this like it's a life-or-death matter. Historically, the federal government's put tens of millions of dollars a year into its urban and community forestry program through the U.S. Forest Service, and only some number of millions of dollars that have ever actually gone out directly to communities. Mm -hmm. And so we said we need a federal government uh, grants and matching support for these cities that want to do this work and to bring in the cities that haven't even started at a totally different scale. And we were able to secure in the Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest climate change bill in the history of this country, let me just celebrate that for a moment, Uh that was passed in August, includes $1.5 billion to fund the work of equitable tree cover in our cities. And that is money that will predominantly, we believe, go out in grants to frontline organizations and to communities, particularly under-resourced communities. So it's really dollars that are really meant to get out there in the field, Mm -hmm. build capacity, help communities build really powerful programs, build those nurseries, get that workforce figured out, use data like Trequity Score so you're sure you're working in the right place, use these cutting-edge forestry techniques that I described to you and these technical resources that we've created, build a really powerhouse program, and then do a whole lot more of it. And so with this $1.5 billion, we can really make that happen at an entirely different scale. So that's a really big piece of the puzzle. And the capacity building announcement that we made this week, this Tree Equity Catalyst Fund, is actually very specifically designed to say, we want to help people compete for those dollars. We make sure the people who, you know, in some instances might never even know those dollars exist, or if they did, they wouldn't really be able to apply for them or fully take advantage of them. We want to go and find those kinds of organizations and cities and work with them, give them grants and funding to be able to come in and really compete for these funds effectively and put them to work. So that's one funding opportunity. But there's also uh, some really innovative finance that's being created as well. And a couple different uh, flavors of that. There's a a wonderful new carbon uh, credit program called City Forest Credits designed actually quite specifically, to lean into some of the challenges with early urban forest protocols that we're trying to teach treat urban forests and the opportunity with them the same way we were using a carbon finance in large forested areas, rural forested areas. Mm-hmm. And for a variety of reasons, it just wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. And so City Forest Credit said, let's really understand the unique types of projects and settings where we can capture and store and retain more carbon on on the land and structure a credit that really will focus in on those activities and will value them at a much higher rate. And also in the process, assess other kinds of benefits and quantify other kinds of benefits that we're providing because it's far more than just carbon. We weren't really giving ourselves credit for mm-hmm. in prior attempts to do uh, urban forest carbon finance. I definitely encourage folks to check out a City Forest Credits. It's a wonderful effort and it really is gaining momentum with some big national sales of bundled projects that are helping people get awareness of the market and help it build momentum. But also there's a group called Quantified Ventures that's been doing some really innovative work as well and trying to think about how do we monetize other things? How do we monetize, for example, the reduced recidivism that comes when we create workforce opportunities through urban forestry? And and can, is there a way that we can monetize that? And I should say workforce opportunities for urban forestry that are working with formerly incarcerated persons. Um, And so can we 
uh, work with the entity that might be paying the costs of recidivism and bring that in and say, hey, why not instead invest uh, in funding that workforce program that can help that person move on in their life? And there's some beautiful work happening in Baltimore and efforts like that are springing up in other places. Uh, kudos to Mark McPherson. He's done a wonderful job at City Forest Credits and the folks at Quantified Ventures. I think those are two great examples of putting our thinking caps on, thinking uh-huh, creatively yeah. about finance. And we've got public finance at all levels. We've got that amazing new federal commitment that I talked about. Mm-hmm. We have states that are putting new money on the table. And I want a big shout out to the state of Rhode Island, which has been a partner in actually a statewide tree equity effort that's been supporting simultaneously every city across that state to understand this issue and move on it. And other states have been doing similar things as well. The cities themselves have been putting more money on the table, Mm. which is really great. But lastly, I think the one other type of funding that's really making a difference is corporations. You know, you read about the dollar per tree projects and the way that corporations in the past have funded large-scale reforestation for their climate goals or habitat or water quality goals. Lots and lots of those partners have discovered that their goals for the environment and their goals for equity and for social uplift, their goals for racial equality, all come together in this tree equity solution. Mm-hmm. Salesforce would be a great example. We started a partnership with Salesforce, and our work was entirely outside of cities, doing amazing large-scale ecosystem restoration, climate-informed reforestation of the campfire burn scar in California, those kinds of projects, which I love to death, and I think we all feel are really, really valuable. But when we really stepped back and we looked at the totality of, of all the different things that Salesforce is trying to accomplish with its corporate social responsibility investment, we suddenly saw this intersection that lots of its different interests were aligning into this work of tree equity, and so that's probably about half now of the work that we do together. And I could tell the same story with other partners, Travelers and Microsoft and others where we started out in exclusively the rural uh, side of things and then moved to either a blend of some of this work in large landscapes and some of it in cities or in some cases developed a program around cities. And I, I thought it was really significant that when American Express approached American Forests about exploring different opportunities with forests and climate change and equity, they made their entire focus on hidden stuck points of tree nurseries and workforce capacity and building the system to run a whole different way. And that would lead to one other point, which would would be that I think not only is there more corporate support coming in for doing projects, for actually paying for trees and on the ground, but that example that I just gave with American Express, and almost from the beginning, they said, what are all the things that no one would normally be willing to pay for? And like the planning work, for example, before we had true equity score, we were doing earlier versions of that type of equity focused and climate focused planning kind of city by city at that time. And Bank of America was actually willing to fund that. They were actually willing to fund going in and just organizing the partners in a city to come in and build that inclusive approach that I talked about. And it's a huge kudos to them because let's realize it's much easier to score the trees. It's much easier to say, hey, we did X number of trees with you. It's a little harder to explain to people, well, hey, we provided this corporate social responsibility engagement and it paid for these costs that you'll never quite see, but that are actually what make possible getting those trees in the ground and cooling those neighborhoods. And I think there's a kind of an enlightenment that's coming into the field. And more and more we see partners that are willing to pay for this diversity of costs. All the ones that I've mentioned are doing that. And it's a huge compliment to these government programs, to traditional philanthropic foundations, to have corporate investment actually aligning in that way. Do I have time for one more question? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's always been this philanthropic thing kind of going through that was funding things like conservation and whatnot. And it always failed. It always came up short. And that's one reason carbon finance emerged was because mm. here you could actually say here as a company, you have some sort of a claim. Yeah. Now we're at this point where there are things that carbon finance just can't cover. Yeah. Um, it feels like philanthropy has suddenly reemerged as something that can fill in the gap on this. 
So there's, there's a role of carbon finance, there's a role of philanthropy, there's a whole new kind of philanthropy that companies are coming in with. Is it legitimate to ask what's in it for the companies? That's a great question. Well, I want to say two things. First of all, I really appreciate you bringing up traditional philanthropies, and I want to come back to it. I mentioned it uh, offhandedly before, but it really deserves to be noted. I mean, for us, the major philanthropic foundations, such as the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, Mm -hmm. were really anchor partners as American Forests, 147-year-old organization, been doing urban forestry for well over 100 years. We made a very conscious decision about five years ago that we were going to take everything we're doing on urban forestry and laser focus it on tree equity in cities. We just don't do work in urban forestry that isn't aligned with addressing tree inequities and, and challenged ourselves to say, but it's not just what we do. We want to build a movement. We want to basically help pivot the field of urban forestry so that we all agree that's where the urgency is. That's where we should be investing our energies together. And so when we were in that very early stage of saying, how do we do that? What are the building blocks we need? That urban forestry guide that we created, the forest service that I described to you, the creation of tree equity score itself, those kinds of foundational pieces, the ability to start to educate folks on the need for more funding. We were just incredibly fortunate to have traditional foundations that were able to invest in laying of that foundation. And so therefore, as this movement started to gain momentum and there was just more there for corporate partners to become interested in and to invest in, but the social inequities that we have in our country and even just very fundamental economic inequities that break along different lines, including racial lines, are so profound that we have to solve all these problems together. We just can't batch them out and say, well, we're going to worry about climate change over here and we're going to worry about the well-being of our communities and equity in our societies over there. The experiences that we've had when we've, for example, done planting projects, volunteer planting projects, and we've been out in the field and listened to the stories from people that we've worked with, people coming out of incarceration, talking about what it means to them to now have their job be to be creating this change in their communities as something as tangible as planting trees. I've heard just people make some profound testimonials. So I, I actually think the trend is going to continue and even intensify. If I were making a prediction, I would expect that in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a substantial increase. And I don't know whether it'll be proportionate, it'll be just more overall investment in this and all tree and forest solutions, I think is, is highly likely. But I'll even go as far as to say, I think a higher percentage of the tree and forest investment that we're going to see from corporates is going to go into this urban work because it does have this intersectional impact in such unique ways with what all kinds of different companies have positioned as their vision for their ESG impact in the world. That just opens up incredible opportunities. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'd love to leave folks with a couple of closing thoughts. I just so appreciated our earlier discussion. Is this a beautification thing? (laughs) Uh, Well, it is a beautification thing, but it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Again, this isn't scenery. This is life and death infrastructure. And if you're someone who's as fortunate as I am to live in a neighborhood with trees, I just want you to, I want you to lie in bed. Sorry, I got a little emotional there. (laughs) I want you to lie in bed. I want you to wake up tomorrow morning. I want you to pull up the shade, okay? And just imagine that instead of looking out at trees... (laughs) <laughs> you're looking out at a barren landscape, mm-hmm. a polluted landscape, mm-hmm. where it doesn't feel safe to cross the street, it's hot, and that's your reality. Before you even start your day, that's your reality. You don't have something beautiful, there's not a bird flitting outside your window. And that's the reality of a lot of people in America today, people whose day is probably going to be harder than yours. And so that's what this is really about. It's fundamental. I think it's a human rights issue that we all deserve to live in a certain kind of environment. And the fact that your income or your race would determine 
whether you have access to those kinds of things, it's morally insupportable. We're better than that. And climate change means that the impacts of not getting that right are even greater and even less morally supportable. And so I just hope folks hear this. I hope they're inspired to get involved. And that's really the last thing I want to say is you can get involved. The beauty of this work is there's no contribution too small. You can find a place, I guarantee you, in your community uh, where there's a volunteer organization. <laughs> there's a way for you to get involved. There's many different ways you can support this work financially through nonprofit organizations. There are policy issues. We're not done fighting for the public funding and investment that we need. There are going to be tree protection decisions that government officials are going to make in your city where you your voice can matter. I can go on. I mean, even just talking about this on social media, somebody even just going on social media and sharing this, hey, I heard about this issue of tree equity. I'm suddenly realizing this is really serious. Did you know that actually a map of trees in our cities is like a map of income of race and that's killing people? Hmm. I mean, it all matters. And so if you feel this deeply, I hope that you'll find a way to get involved because there's a place for you. Jad Daly of American Forests, closing out this edition of Bionic Planet. Produced by Deborah Friedman and brought to you by Vera, the world's most widely followed environmental standard, and by Responsible Alpha, creators of the ESG Integration Toolkit, which concentrates decades of experience at the interface of environment, society, and business to help you meet the demands of a low-carbon, sustainable, and equitable future. You can learn more at ResponsibleAlpha.com. And if you like what you hear and you want more and better episodes, you can also help me deliver them by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash bionic planet. There you can support me for as little as a buck an episode and with a monthly cap. The address again is patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. Also, if you're an ethical business looking to reach a global climate aware audience, you can advertise on Bionic Planet or become a sponsor as well. You can reach out to me at steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. Finally, you can help just by giving me a five-star review on whichever podcatcher you access me through. That helps because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds I can reach. And we have to reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. That's all for today. I'm Steve Zwick in Davos, Switzerland, where I'm gathering more interviews that'll boil down into episodes in the months and weeks ahead. Until then, thanks for listening.